Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast. My name is David George, and I serve as the editor for ATPE News Magazine. Today, we're going to be discussing voucher legislation, specifically what voucher programs are, the politics surrounding the issue, and what's at stake for educators this session. We're joined today by ATPE lobbyist Tricia Cave and ATPE Government Relations Director Monty Exter. We're excited to have both of you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, David. Um, super excited to be back on the podcast again, and I'm even more excited to be introducing our newest lobbyist, Tricia Cave, to the ATPE family. Um, Tricia comes to us from a long background uh, teaching in public education. Uh, she also has some great advocacy experience uh, that she's gained while working with Texans for Public Education, which is a phenomenal organization um, that ATPE gets to work with uh, sometimes. And I will let Tricia tell you a little bit more about herself. Thanks, Monty. Uh, so I've taught for 17 years. Um, I actually just left the classroom recently. Um, and I've spent the last six years with Texans for Public Education, specifically researching um, candidate positions and whether they're friendly, neutral, or unfriendly to public education. So I have a lot of experience with vote records and how statements and things correlate to how they vote on the floor and things like that. And so it's just an honor to be here and get to use that experience full time now. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you both. Uh, Mani, let's begin by defining what is a voucher. Absolutely. So um, despite the fact that you might hear a lot of terms uh, bandied around out there, or somebody might say, well, this isn't a voucher, it's actually a pretty simple definition. A voucher is anytime the state or federal, but mostly state government, um, directly sends or causes to be sent uh, public funding or money that would have otherwise gone into the public coffers to a private entity for the provision of education. <clears throat> so what exactly does that mean? We can give a couple of examples here. Um, first of all, you have maybe what you sort of traditionally think of, which is um, you actually give out a voucher um, to a private school who can collect funding for um, serving a student who either is, was in the public education system, or oftentimes in most states we find out never in fact was in the public education system, directly out of state funding. Uh, you also can have a system where let's say uh, you have businesses or individuals who get a credit against some tax that they would otherwise pay or instead sending those dollars either directly to a private school or sending them to a third party organization in order to give scholarships um, to individuals who are being pulled out of public education and sent over to private education. In that instance, you're talking about dollars that would otherwise have gone into the state coffers for the provision of public education being redirected um, often through a third party entity over into a private setting. Uh, another thing that we've seen a lot of lately is something called an education savings account. And that is where um, the government takes dollars, whether it be maybe dollars directly out of the foundation school program or dollars out of regular GR and sets up an account 
um, that it gives to a parent uh, in the state of Texas and allows that parent to use the money in that account um, to either uh, purchase tuition at a private school to pay for um, goods and services used in homeschooling, um, to pay for tutoring, to pay for other things uh, that are in lieu of having the right to go to public education. Um, let me give you one example of something, though, that maybe sounds like it could be a voucher, but isn't, and explain and use that to explain the difference and why. Um, last session, we had something called an SESS grant, uh, and you've heard a little bit more about them recently. What that particular grant does is it also gives additional funding to uh, parents and families who have students who have been identified as in need of special education services. However, um, and they can go use those funds at private um, locations. But, the and here's the real crux of the difference. In this instance, it's not in lieu of public education. Those particular services have to be above and beyond what the student is already entitled to receive at their public school. So the public school is still required to give them all the special education services that a public school would give them outside of this grant existing. This is really just an, an extra on top of that because federal law is very specific about what services schools have to give to special education students. So that's the difference. Really, it's, it's in addition to not in lieu of. So hopefully that gives you a little bit better idea. And, and whether it's called a voucher, very rare these days, a tuition tax credit, an ESA, or they come up with some new name. Um, I've seen something uh, along the lines of a parental empowerment grant or a parental empowerment program being bandied about um, recently. All of those things are in fact vouchers. They all fit the definition. Certain rhetoric, including the notion of school choice and parental rights, has become ubiquitous in both the state and national discourse on this subject. Mani, could you speak to the growing politicization of education? Absolutely. So education has for, you know, 200 plus years, <laughs> public education, been a bipartisan issue, largely a bipartisan issue in our country. Um, our founding fathers wrote pretty extensively, in fact, about the provision of public education. Um, it really is one of the greatest things to come out of our American democracy. Uh, and for many, many decades, if not centuries, um, it was pretty special and somewhat unique to our country. Um, it's been picked up around the world since, but it, it really got its, its roots here. And so it's unfortunate that what we've seen over, you know, it's been maybe 20, 30 years, but sort of a dramatic uptick over even as short as the last three to five years is, as you said, the politicization of public education, where folks are trying to utilize public education as a wedge issue um, to drive folks to do things at the polls to try to drive partisan decision-making. Um, there are lots of different reasons for that, um, whether it is simply because it's an expedient way um, to try to drive a voter to the poll uh, because 
parents obviously care a lot about their kids um, and the public in general cares a lot about the next generation as a sort of ubiquitous whole um, or uh, because there are groups of folks out there that recognize that public education is the largest um, single line item in pretty much any state and certainly Texas's budget. Um, despite the fact that Texas funds education at a much lower rate than almost any state, it is still easily the largest line item in our budget. So for the folks out there who are, and it's a pretty small handful of folks, who are looking for sort of dramatic uh, cuts to the taxes that they pay, um, public education is one place that they look. And so they try to um, politicize that, turn the public against public education. <clears throat> and what you've seen is really coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and all of us trying to grapple with that in a number of ways, folks taking that, starting there, building on some frustration and some angst, both with parents and with the general public, um, some of it warranted and some of it sort of made up, um, and building on that and building into what we can now really call, you know, a culture war around public education, um, largely um, on facts that really don't play out. You know, we hear things like CRT. CRT is a graduate level college concept, not something that you're finding in an elementary school. Um, it's about the way the legal system works which I can guarantee you is not something that third graders are learning about. Um, or, uh, you know, whether or not you're talking about um, the content in our libraries, the content in, in other areas, um, or even if you're, you know, using buzzwords and catchphrases, like you start to hear about government schools instead of our public schools, when in fact, the majority of public education is determined at the public level by publicly elected local officials um, who are there in your own municipality and who you vote for on a regular basis. It's not determined um, at the federal level, hardly at all. Uh, and while there is certainly input at the state level, it is still largely overseen at that local level um, by folks that, that we elect. Um, and all of that, really, all of that politicization, again, is oftentimes aimed at trying to drive a wedge between the public good that is public education and at least a part of the electorate um, so that we can attempt to pass a voucher. Um, because, again, I, I point back to that theme of folks um, wanting to be able to dramatically reduce what the state pays towards public education and therefore their personal um, tax bill. And I'm not talking about just your average everyday citizen. I'm talking about folks who are extremely property wealthy um, and trying to impact their personal bills and their personal um, finances. And passing a voucher is one way um, for them to do that. And I just add to that really quickly also, Teachers want to work with parents. This whole idea of parental choice and parental alienation in schools, teachers want parents to be on their, we're on the same team, the team of the kid. The kid is the bottom line, at least for all of the wonderful educators I've worked with. 
So this idea that there's some kind of false like false choice between parents having choice or educators, you know, having control of their classrooms, it's really a false equivalency. It's not real. Um, and frankly, if teachers wanted to brainwash their students, they'd do something like remember, ask them to remember to bring pencils or chargers to their classrooms. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. And in fact, not just that anecdotal evidence, but you can look at, you know, data that's been collected. Um, there are organizations in the state that send out surveys on a regular basis. And what you find in those surveys is that, in fact, parents who have kids in public schools are more satisfied overall with their public schools than they ever have been in the history of those surveys. Where you see a dip is in adults in Texas who do not have kids in public schools and are simply being fed um, marketing narratives um, by a small group of folks who are trying to um, sway them on a public policy issue. And they don't have any anchor, right, in the public school. They don't have the on-the-ground information. And so they're more likely to believe what they're hearing secondhand. Tricia, why should public educators be concerned about potential voucher legislation? Well, for one thing, school funding pays your salary. Um, school funding is, I mean, excuse me, salaries are a huge, huge, huge portion of a school budget, a district budget, and any reduction in funding equals a reduction in that budget, and that equals reduction in force, and that equals you potentially losing your job. So that's the most important thing for educators. But beyond that, additionally, vouchers equal less money for your school. Um, when parents are taking those voucher funds and taking them to charters or private schools, uh, th those are dollars that are not entering your classroom. Those are dollars that are not servicing your kids. Those equal less resources for the most struggling learners who, by the way, those charters and private schools do not have to accept or keep if they do accept them. So that's very important to keep in mind as you um, think about this voucher issue is the fact that all of this equals less money for your classroom and for your Yeah, I think that's so on point. You know, um, one of the reasons why I love working for ATPE is because our members are so student-centric. Um, and as Tricia pointed out, it's really important to know that vouchers are going to directly impact your students in a negative way. But I think that it's also okay um, to recognize that vouchers are also going to impact you personally as an educator in a negative way. Because as Tricia said, um, the, the huge bulk of money um, going towards public education goes to pay salaries. And so it's just a mathematical certainty that if there's a large reduction in funding, that's where it's gonna to have to come from. Beyond just that, um, I think it's really important for folks to understand that the pro-voucher argument is also built on some falsehoods. Um, first of all, it's built on a false promise, right? What folks are promising is, and you'll hear this all the time, I read an article about this just today from another new organization getting involved in this discussion, um, that, you know, most kids are still going to go to public schools and we love our public schools, but we really just need to give, you know, parents this option to be able to choose these private schools. And what's sort of implicit in that, uh, in what they're saying 
is the concept that somehow this voucher is going to allow a kid to go to what most people are thinking of as this sort of elite high level, um, you know, private school that happens to be in, you know, the wealthy neighborhood in the community that they live in. And that's just not accurate. Um, as Trisha pointed out, private schools, first of all, don't have to accept any student. No voucher program that I've ever seen filed would require a private school to accept any student. Um, we already know from looking at other states that they do not typically accept students who have any sort of disciplinary issue. They do not accept any sort of student that has a significant special education issue um, because they're not really equipped to serve them and because it is a profit loss um, for them. It, it hits their books in a negative way because those students tend to be very expensive to serve. And that's true in the public school too. Um, the amount of money that you get to serve a student who has special education needs is far less than the amount of money the district spends on that student. It is only by being able to aggregate um, all of us together that we can actually afford to do that because it's not a one-for-one. -one. Um, in addition to that, uh, there are gonna be plenty of private schools out there who simply say, we just don't want um, anyone who might be able to take a voucher. Uh, also, those schools are at an expense where the voucher is absolutely not going to cover their tuition, even if this private school was willing to accept the voucher in the first place. Um, those schools charge two, three, sometimes four and five times what a voucher is actually going to provide. And so that concept that you're going to go to that high-end elite private school in the wealthy neighborhood in whatever city you live in is just not accurate. Um, additionally, not only is the voucher argument built on a false promise, it's also built on a false premise. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the other argument that you constantly hear is that, well, it's their money, they're being the parents, they should be able to take it and spend it where they want to. <clears throat> and what I will say is um, public education is a public good. And absolutely, we're all taxpayers and we all want our tax dollars to go um, to the best provision of services that it possibly can. We all also, as good citizens in Texas, want our students to be educated in the best manner possible. Also, most of us believe that nine times out of 10, um, it is going to be uh, the parent that's going to know exactly what their kid needs. Um, sadly, we have some situations where the kid may not even be with their parent, um, but we certainly all respect parents' rights. However, getting back to the issue of public education is a public good, um, again, that's why the Founding Fathers wrote so much about public education. You can think of it in the same way that you think about roads or the delivery of fire service or police service. Um, they are issues just like that where we all come together and we identify that it is important that we have the ability to say, I put out the fire at your house. Even if my house isn't on fire, we still all agree that we should all pay in together to put out the fire at your house. Or let's say it's the same with roads. We have roads all over this state, right? Let's say that I decided to buy a helicopter and put it in my backyard because I thought that I could get to Houston or Dallas much easier in my helicopter 
than I could taking I-35 or I-45. Does that mean that I get a voucher for my helicopter? No, because those roads are a public good. And what that means is not only that if I choose not to use the public good, I still have to pay for it, but that even if I choose not to personally directly use the public good, I still get benefit out of it. The fact that those roads exist is what allows my groceries to get to the grocery store. The fact that the public education system exists and serves those students is what allows all of us to be able to have the future that we're looking forward to because we're creating the next generation of the Texas workforce, the next generation of citizens who are going to take over um, electing the folks that run our state and country. And so that's why we all come together to pay for public education. Now that said, a parent can absolutely choose not to send their child to public school. That's true right now. There's nothing in any of these bills that expands the right of a parent to choose where they send their child. You already have a right to homeschool right now. You already have a right to send your kid to a private school right now. You can already send your kid to a charter school within the public system if you choose to. If you are at one of the handful, and it is only a handful, of campuses in this state who are um, currently struggling under the same accountability system, you already have a federally guaranteed right to transfer your kid out of that school to another school, either in your district or in a neighboring district, and they have to pay the transportation to get your kid to the new school, not you. All of those things already exist right now. What vouchers is about is not expanding those rights for parents, it is about transferring money out of the public system and into somebody else's pocket. Historically, Texas has had bipartisan opposition for voucher programs. Where do the politics currently stand, Monty? As we mentioned before, education has become more and more politicized. Um, it's been a while um, that uh, the Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, has been um, on the pro-voucher bandwagon. Um, he leads the Texas Senate, um, and there is a fairly strong majority of folks in the Texas Senate um, who are willing to pass a voucher out of that particular chamber. It has only been during the last election cycle that the governor has publicly taken a position on this. Um, he has certainly seen uh, other politicians at the state level, um, you know, other governors effectively around the country use um, the politicization of uh, public school and rhetoric, um, no matter how inaccurate it might be around the parental choice um, argument um, to help uh, vault them onto the national scene to help get them reelected, to help with their fundraising and campaigning. Um, and it's really given them also a safe path to do something that some high-level funders that we've already mentioned have been asking folks like Governor Abbott to do for a while. And so he's now um, jumped on that. Um, what I will say is that the folks who are closest to their constituents. The folks that have the smallest districts represent the, the fewest individual number of Texans, although all Texans are represented by a Texas House member, are just that, they're Texas House members. Um, and what we have found is that 
um, particularly rural Republicans, particularly urban Democrats. Um, they very much understand the important role that public education plays in their communities. Um, and they seem to still be uh, listening much more closely to those um, individual constituents within those communities, as opposed to a small number of high-level funders or out-of-state advocacy organizations um, who are pushing for privatization. And so we haven't necessarily seen that there's a lot of movement in the Texas House, um, but there is a lot of pressure on those House members. And so it's really important that we support them as they try to support us. Tricia, how can educators engage with their elected officials on this issue? Well, um, they can start by calling, writing, and emailing their elected officials, doing it early, doing it often. Um, one way you can do that is by visiting ATPE Advocacy Central. And through that, you can directly contact your state rep, your state house member, your state senator, through text, email, or phone call, there's even a script there to help you. So I would encourage members to check that out. Additionally, of course, you can visit the Capitol. Uh, members always want to hear from their, from their um, constituents. I know that that's not possible for everybody. So if you can't visit the Capitol, then I would encourage you to visit our blog at Teach the Vote. Um, and then also just, it's very important that those of us who are active politically and trying to work to um, keep vouchers and other issues that affect teachers and students at bay is talk to your friends and get them active also. Um, it's very important that we all engage in trying to keep vouchers and other issues that are affecting teachers um, at bay. And then of course, those of you who are coming to ATPE at the Capitol next week, I am very much looking forward to seeing all of you. So there's a few ways there. Well, Monty and Tricia, thank you both so much for all your insight on this important topic. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, you can send those to com at atpe.org. That's C-O-M-M at atpe.org. And we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast as well as leave us a review. Thanks again for being here, and we'll see you next time on the ATPE Podcast. Thanks for listening to the ATPE Podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org.